Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Our text for this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And it reads, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are nearing the end of our study of 2 Timothy. Uh, We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this week and then finish it out next week. Um, But you remember last week, uh, John Agege uh, talked us through this section where he talked about the nature of God's word, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, our theme has been being devoted to God's word, and although the entire book, I think, points to that in various ways, this section, the end of chapter three and chapter four, is perhaps the place where we see it most clearly the call to be devoted to the Word of God. And last week, John talked about how we have a trustworthiness of the teaching of the Word of God, and that comes from God himself, because we know the source of the Scriptures, we know it is breathed out by him, but also that there is a trustworthiness that comes because we know the people we heard it from. Most of us received the word from someone who taught it to us, someone that was a trustworthy sort, be that a parent or a teacher. And he also talked last week about what is it that the word of God accomplishes in us, that it teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness. And and we talked about how this entire section has been a lot about what does it look like for us to be an honorable vessel. You may may remember that language from chapter 2 where where Paul used this image of what does it mean to be an honorable vessel? What does it mean to be useful to God? And in the end of chapter 3, he says the word of God is going to equip you for every good work. That is sort of the end goal. This is how we become an honorable vessel useful for God. But there's also been a lot in 2 Timothy that is set up with the fact that this is not going to be an easy road, right? This isn't just a matter of cracking open our Bibles in the morning and having a devotional time, which is a good thing to do. We're going to talk about that. But this book is a lot about the fact that Timothy is facing opposition to his devotion to the Word of God and his call to be proclaiming the gospel in the context that he's in. Right? There was, we talked about the, the suffering that Paul has called him to. We talked about just the world that he is in and how that is a, makes it difficult to, to truly be devoted to the word of God. And here in chapter 4, we are going to get Paul's charge to Timothy. He starts out 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. You know, we don't have a lot of reference points for charges. It's just not something that happens in our life all that often. You know, this is a text that sometimes get preached at ordinations and things like that when, when pastors are being ordained. But, you know, there's not a lot of context. Like, he gets very formal here on Timothy. You know, there's been a lot of this letter where he's been talking to Timothy like a son, like, his, like someone he's mentoring. But here, he uses very serious, almost legal language. He is charging him. I mean, I think the only places, the reference points that maybe we have for that are, you know, you go to testify in court, right? And they make you swear that you're going to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Or even in the context of a wedding where you have to swear to, to certain things within the context of the relationship. Here, Paul is kind of laying on like, I am charging you. I am giving this almost like a legal mandate. This is what you are supposed to do. And he charges him, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So he charges him by the presence of God and by Christ Jesus. Now, why does he talk here about who is to judge the living and the dead? Well, I want to take a little sidebar. So we're going to step away from the text for just a second. Because I want to kind of look at Paul's letters overall. So in Paul's letters whether they are to an individual or to a church, he is always in some form or fashion trying to encourage the people he's writing to to pursue Jesus more, right? To pursue him more, to love him more, to serve him more, to proclaim the gospel more. Like there is always an encouraging part of what Timothy is doing. But the way he does that actually changes. He, he seems to want to use every possible means to, to encourage people to be pursuing Jesus more. And, and I would say, if you were to put these in, in three broad buckets, how does he encourage the churches? How does he encourage individuals? He does three things. He reminds them of the glory. He reminds them of the reality of judgment. And he also reminds them of reward. So the glory, we've actually seen this earlier in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10 He told this to Timothy. He said, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life. Through the gospel. You can find so many places in Paul's letter where he has something like this, where it's like he just can't help himself, right? He starts talking about Jesus and he just can't stop. He starts talking about all that Jesus has done, all that he has accomplished, all that he has done in us and in the bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together in some places and in the ways that he's brought reconciliation with us and God. And there's this reminder of just the power and the glory and the majesty of what God has done. And that this is supposed to be an incentive to us. It's an incentive to us out of just sheer thankfulness. But even more than that, that we too are supposed to glimpse this glory and go, wow, I want to serve that more because it's good and it's beautiful. 
And I would say, in many ways, this is maybe the primary thing that Paul does when, is, when he's trying to encourage the church, when he's trying to encourage us to live more, is he reminds us of the goodness and the glory of God. And no, Ellen and I did not set that up. That just worked out. But there's also sections where he talks about reward. And actually, next week, we're going to see this. In verse 6, Paul's going to say, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He talks about this hope of this crown that he's going to receive, of this award he's going to receive. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that this week. We're going to talk about it a lot more next week. Actually, Ellen and I have had an extended debate over the last week about this topic of reward and what that means. So we'll, get to, we'll dive more into that last, next time. But the reality is in many places, Paul points to reward as an incentive for us to pursue Jesus more. The last one, though, is seen in this text which is the reality of judgment. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living of the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. When he charges Timothy, he reminds him of two realities. He reminds him of the presence of God and he reminds him of the fact that Jesus someday is going to judge the living and the dead. Now, this is sobering, right? Like, what he's reminding Timothy is the sense of, like, yes, God is with you. He is present with you. But there's also a sense where God is watching you, right? And someday there is going to be a day where we are going to stand before our Savior, King Jesus, and give to him an account of what we have done in our lives. And there seems to be here Paul charging Timothy with that reminder to take this seriously because there is going to come a day when he is going to have to give an accounting for how he lived out the calling that was on his life. Now, this, this text is very much geared towards Timothy as a pastor, as a preacher, and so we're going to see some of the specifics of that charge. But I think there is something here that is very real for all of us. Like, imagine for a second, think about like what... What do you feel like Jesus has called you to in your life? The relationships, maybe the vocation he has called you to, maybe your marriage, maybe your, your role as a parent or as a friend or as a son or a daughter, like these places where God has called you to step into this role. Now imagine for a second, Paul is writing to you and he says, I charge you to do this by the realities of the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who's come to judge the living and the dead. There is something sobering about, hey, whatever God has called us to, there is going to come a day where we are going to give an account for how we lived into the callings that he gave us. And that shouldn't be something that is fearful. It's actually, I think, something that is an opportunity and something that should encourage us to be like, man, I want to do that better. Because, boy, there's going to come a day where I'm going to get to tell the story to Jesus himself of the ways I lived into the things that he called me to. And what a glorious day that will be if we can give a good accounting and hear from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay. 
So that's the end of the sidebar. But those are the three major ways that we see Paul encourage the churches, and we see him using one of these here with Timothy, which is he's reminding him of the reality of the fact that someday he's going to give an account. But then he gives the particular charge. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So his first charge to Timothy is to preach, and that word preach actually means the idea to be a herald. So it's, it's someone who has good news, and they're going out, and they're proclaiming it publicly as loudly and as often as they can. That was the role of a herald, right? If there's good news, they travel to a town, and they just declare it. And that's what he says, you need to be doing this. You need to be telling the story of Jesus. You need to be heralding the truth of who he is and what he did. And we see him talk about these other things that, that, that Timothy's supposed to do to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And I was noticing how similar they are to what he had talked about that the Word of God does back in 16. That it's supposed to teach, it's supposed to reprove, it's supposed to correct, it's supposed to train us in righteousness. He's saying, all of the things that the Word of God is supposed to do, Timothy, you're supposed to take those, and you're supposed to do that with it. You're supposed to use it to to help train people up in righteousness. You're supposed to help correct. You're supposed to reprove. And certainly I think this has very direct application for anyone in this church who has a teaching role or a preaching role. Either in the form of like formally here at the church or in another context, but even as you are instructing your friends, instructing your children, like there is, I think, a general call for us as believers to know what this is about. And to be ready, it says be ready in season and out of season. That means there's going to be times where you know it's coming, right? I knew I was going to be up here and I needed to have something to say at 1130 or this was going to be really embarrassing, right? Like I knew I needed to be ready. And that there was this opportunity that I was going to have to explain something about the word of God. But I got in a conversation on Friday wasn't expecting it. Someone came and talked to me about something they were going through. I didn't have time to prepare for that. Right? I didn't even know it was coming. And I needed to be ready in season and out of season. And I think that's true for all of us in the, the ways that we have opportunity to influence others through the word of God that there is a general readiness we need to have. And if we are going to be ready in season and out of season, that means we need to have spent time in this. So that when those times come up, whether we get to plan for them or not, we are ready to use the word of God to reprove, rebuke, exhort, and to teach and to train towards righteousness and to encourage Now, he goes on and he tells a little bit of the context in which Timothy is going to be preaching and teaching. He says in verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, I have no doubt in every season, verse 3, to a certain extent, resonates, right? That there is a time when people are not going to endure sound teaching, but they're going to have itching ears and will accumulate teachers to suit their own passions. 
But boy, do we live in that day. So there's kind of two things he says that, that are going to happen. One is that they are going to seek out teachers to basically fill their, their itching ears. Now that's kind of an interesting phrase. You can just like imagine, it's like something that just kind of makes your ears tingle a little bit. It's this idea of something of interesting, just like a new little tidbit, a new little piece of information. It's that, that constant quest for, for more, for new, for something to kind of fill, to, to, to entertain. And, and certainly I think that we can look in the world and see just like a near constant quest for something to fill our itching ears, right, as we scroll to the next thing. But I think there's also a temptation for Christians around moments we have to receive the word of God, where I think it become very tempting for us to let let it become a form of entertainment. To let when we hear the word of God in the form of a, a sermon or a teaching that we maybe start to view it more as a how interesting and how entertained am I by this versus are we listening to it in order to be changed by the word of God. Now that's not to say that there isn't something to teaching and preaching in a way that is interesting and compelling but at the same time I think with how much we as Christians can be consumers right now, it is very easy for sermons and other things to start to become forms of entertainment and for us no longer perhaps to enter into those moments with hearts that are truly seeking God. But he also says that they are going to pursue teachers that suit their own passions. Right? They're going to look for people that will tell them exactly what they want to hear. They're going to look for people that, that tell them that whatever they desire, that's exactly what God wants for you. Whatever it is that you happen to want, whatever it is that's making you feel good, man, God just wants you to enjoy yourself. God just wants you to be, feel okay. Right? Teachers that will suit your own passions, that are just whatever it is your desire, they're going to give you whatever kind of theological stamp of approval you need to feel like you can go ahead and pursue that. He says that's what's going to be our, our tendency. The tendency is going to be to seek out those kind of people. And that's been true of every time period. And certainly we have seen an, a, a, an acceleration and intensification of this with modern media. We have unprecedented resources Right? There is so much stuff out there now. And we have unprecedented tools to be able to filter those. To be able to pick and choose what we listen to, what we hear, what we don't hear. In some ways we need that because otherwise we'd just be inundated. But at the same time, we can choose to live in an echo chamber. Right? We can choose to only hear particular things and to only look at particular parts of the word of God perhaps. That's one of the things that John talked about last week that I, I really resonated with and was glad he talked about was the fact that when Paul says all scripture is God-breathed, he meant all scripture. And it can be very tempting sometimes, even as we are pursuing God and, and pursuing our own studies, to, to maybe go to the parts that are familiar and safe, to go to the parts that we know aren't going to say anything that will be 
too convicting. Right? Maybe just a little convicting. That feels good when it's just a little convicting. But nothing that's going to really challenge the way that we live. So I think there's an encouragement here to, one, be careful that we are not just pursuing teachers and, and scriptures and studies that tell us what we want to hear, but that we are, we are finding ways to make sure that we are encountering all of the scriptures. You know, one of the things that we try and do with regards to just the preaching ministry of this church, you've kind of been experiencing it, is that even when we are going through a topic, we do occasionally do topical studies, but we also try to spend time going through a book of the Bible. So, you know, we've been focusing this series on being devoted to the Word of God, but we've been studying through 2 Timothy, and I'm guessing there's weeks where you have gone, how is this about being devoted to the Word of God? I don't get exactly how this ties in with the theme of the message. Well, that's actually a good thing because it means that we are encountering things in 2 Timothy that perhaps don't fit into the neat little box of things that we are trying to hear about, but instead we are encountering things that maybe God wants us to hear about from his word. And that's one of the reasons why we do studies through books of the Bible as a regular part of what we do is because I think it stops us from being too picking and choosing around what parts of the Bible we encounter. And that's something I would, I would invite you to consider in your own times of study is to find ways to make sure you are encountering Scripture that perhaps you aren't picking for yourself. Or that could be in the form of there's, there's lectionaries out there that have you do particular readings on particular days. There's... Um, if you're going through a book of the Bible, very often you'll encounter things that you, like I said, don't always plan for yourself. I think it is a way to do that so that we don't fall into this trap of only feeding ourselves the things that we want to hear, but instead trying to really seek God's word for the totality of what he would have for us. In this last part of the charge, Paul says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. He encourages Timothy to be sober-minded. Now, whenever you see this in, in Paul, he's not just talking about getting drunk. That is part of this. He is encouraging Timothy not to get drunk. But it's actually more about having a life of self-control. It's about sobriety in all aspects of life, of not getting into extremes or getting into places where he is compromised in his, his thinking and acting. It's about sort of a general attitude of temperance. And he reminds Timothy again here to endure suffering. And this has been a theme throughout 2 Timothy. Because the reality is, is that if we want to be devoted to the word of God, if we want to be ready in season and out of season to be ready to speak to others about the word of God. Or, as Paul talked about earlier, if we want to live a godly life, if we are trying to be a, a useful vessel to God, the reality is, is that is going to come up against the, word, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and there is going to be a certain level of suffering that we have to be ready to engage with. Right? That this isn't just about, again, a devotional, that there's like real spiritual warfare taking place here. There is a real pursuing of things that the world is going to push back on. And so he says, 
Be willing to endure suffering. And to do the work of an evangelist, be actively doing the work of gospel proclamation. Now, again, you know, we could, this, this section is often used to charge pastors, to charge teachers. I think it was used to charge me when I was ordained. But I do think that there is a larger scope here, even for people that don't have the particular call of preaching and teaching on their ministry. I mean, these last things that Paul tells Timothy to do, to be sober-minded, to endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist, these are things that are the call of the Christian in whatever calling and vocation God has given us. Right? These are things that we have to step into and be willing to live into if we are going to be honorable vessels, useful to God for every good work. So, as I said earlier, I think this section gives one of the clearest pictures in 2 Timothy of what it looks like to be devoted to the Word of God. We kind of get to see it from the perspective of a, a preacher and a teacher, but there's a lot here about what the Word of God is intended to do, that it is supposed to be training us in righteousness, it's supposed to be preparing us and equipping us for every good work. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to spend some time talking about this before we get into how do you go about proclaiming the gospel? Well, how are you going to know what gospel to proclaim if you haven't been devoted to the word of God? How are we as a church going to be effective in gospel proclamation in this city if we have not learned how to pursue God to equip us for every good work through his word? These things are intimately connected and cannot be disconnected from one another. So if we as a church are going to be doing effective gospel proclamation, we also have to be a church that is devoted to the word of God. So I want to end with, I think, three disciplines that help keep the word of God in front of us. Like, what does it practically look like for us to be devoted to the word of God? So I want to look at three disciplines. A couple of these are pretty obvious, but that's okay. We're going to talk about them anyway. The first one is private study of the word of God with ourselves and our families. Now, I am hopeful most of you have already set a time, set a Let me try that again. Most of you have set aside a time in your week, in your day, where you are intentionally getting into the word of God yourself or with your families. But if not, this is something I cannot encourage you to do more. Like there is aspects of this that in pursuing this that we can do in community and should do in community. We're going to talk about that. But there is a lot of pursuing the word of God that we have to do on our own. And approaching those times, again, with the attitude of learning and just the hope and the belief that what God can do through his word is transformational. So that is the first discipline, is the private study of the word of God with ourselves and our families. The second is approaching Sunday morning worship with an expectation to receive and respond to God's word. And I would extend this to any time that you are have the opportunity to hear someone else preach or teach the word of God. And that gets to that idea of why do we come here? Why do we come and listen to the word of God? Why do we sit under the authority of scripture? We don't do it just to be entertained. It's not something that's just for our pleasure and because it fills some sort of itching ear thing that we've got. 
right? It is because we honestly believe that this is the word of God, that the God of the universe, the one who created everything, the one who sent his son to die on our behalf, the one who is glorious and wonderful and who someday we are going to spend eternity with, revealed himself and has told us things about who he is and who we are and how we're to live in response. And if we approach his, that when we are taught and, and, and preached to about the word of God with that attitude of wanting to really hear from him, that pulls us away from a, a heart of entertainment to one that is seeking to be transformed by the word of God. So that's the second thing. Approaching Sunday morning worship with an expectation to receive and respond to God's word. And the third is to find practices of corporate study of God's word and build those into your, into your life. There's something so rich about getting into God's word with others. And the truth of the matter is, is that when we go into the scriptures, we go in a lot like this. Right? We have certain things that we are able and willing to see. But when you study in the, the context of community, it helps remove those blinders. It helps us to see maybe we missed something or maybe there's something in our hearts that we are just not willing to respond to God's word because that's just hitting too close to home for us. But someone else is able to see, no, I actually think that's there. And perhaps lovingly confront us with the word of God when they see that in our lives. There is something rich about practices of the corporate study of God's word. And two, just opportunities for that here at our church. The first is the Sunday morning classes we do, 930. Right now they're doing the parables of Jesus. So if, if, if you are looking for some place to go and just to sit and learn more about God's word in, in kind of a way that's, that's really going deep, that is, that is a great place to do that. And the second place is our community groups. So out on the board, there's a place there where you can see all the groups that we have right now. And if you are not yet part of a group, either an ACE class or a community group, I want to strongly encourage you to consider that as a way to pursue being devoted to God's word. Because I, I believe that, yes, there is a call for us to study individually, but we also have a need to study together. That part of being devoted to God's word is not just something we do on our own. It is something we do as a body. Amen? All right. Well, let me close us in prayer. I'm going to pray that we would continue to pursue God in his word. That we would long for that. That we would be a people characterized by that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have given us your word. You have revealed yourself. You have shown us the path to salvation. You have shown us a way of life in your word, God. And you've even given us the opportunity to share that, that path, that way of life, that knowledge of Jesus Christ with others. Lord, there's so much that distracts us. There's so much that pulls us away from pursuing you in your word. So I pray, God, that you would build in us a longing to hear from you. 
I pray that this church would be characterized by a deep love of you that is shown in its pursuit of you in the study of the word. And that from that, God, you would equip us for every good work, including proclaiming your word in this city. All these things I pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.